All right, Frank, here we go. Seven awesome things in .NET 7. We're gonna bring it down. These are the seven things that I hand-selected in my recent YouTube video, which is called Seven Awesome New Features in .NET 7. So the real end-up question is, did I pick the right seven features? Are you impressed with my list? And how can we go even further? We've talked about a lot of .NET 7 several last several weeks, but I think this is fun. Probably more fun than App Clips. Maybe we'll go to, uh, we did kind of on our Patreon subscriber list, we did a breakdown <laughs> of App Clips, which I've used for the first time. So go give us a dollar a month if you want to go listen to that as well. It helps Frank, you know, live and then helps me <laughs> pay for our hosting fees of the website and for the podcast. Not cheap, but seven <laughs> favorite things. I did a 20 minute video. So can we do a 40 minute podcast? <laughs> Of those, yeah. of those features. Let's see how it goes. I, I want to say this is I showed this video to Nish on my team, Nish and Neil, and uh, he said I did pretty good. So I want to kind of hear what you think, Frank. This is great. This is like my reaction because everyone, I have not seen this video, but the Google algorithm, the YouTube algorithm promises me that I should watch this because it's been at the top of my homepage for probably a week now, when, when did, whatever, time, time is irrelevant. But um, Google thinks I should watch this. So, you know, I, I'd rather watch it with you. So this is going to be fun. Oh, good. And in fact, I will also say this is that Google also thinks that other people should watch it, not just you, because 80% of my views come from the YouTube home uh, algorithm right now. So Is that right? Mm -hmm. So you did something right with this video to get it recommending you. Good job. It's the YouTube algorithm, I was actually going to do a whole video on the YouTube algorithm or tweet storm <laughs> on this, but it is very, very fascinating because the amount of, um, of, of views versus retention and this and that, because let's say I get 10,000 videos. That's only, I think my, my rate is click through rate is like three or 4%, which means really like hundreds of thousands of people it's been in there. Right. So, so that's really good. Uh, um, yeah, my, my click through rate is, oh, 6.2%. The average on my channel is like three to 4%. So something is going really, really good in this video. I don't know what it is. If it's the thumbnail, if it's the title or what <laughs> it is, I like to think that's just quality content, Frank, quality content. No, it's the thumbnail. The yeah. thumbnail is pretty good. I did good. Thank you. Yeah. Do you um, A-B test those? <laughs> you know what? I I haven't A-B tested them. I do know some YouTubers that have like discords and they let people choose on that. But I have heard that. Um, yeah. I don't think that YouTube has an A-B feature, although I would love that. I would love to be able well, to upload like three different thumbnails and say, here you go. Yeah, I've heard the pro move is you just keep you do it manually. Hmm. You run one thumbnail for five minutes, run the next for five minutes, run the other for five minutes and just do it manually. Wait until the algorithm catches one. I don't have time for that. I do not have time so for that. Way too much work. Anyway, we're distracting seven features of .NET 7. We have mentioned, um, yeah, we when we were talking about uh, the conference, we talked about these. But I am curious which ones you decided were worth video time. Yes. Number one in my list, performance. We did an entire podcast on performance. <laughs> so, Frank, this couldn't. You know, number one and number seven, those are the number, those are the top ones, everything in the middle. Eh. Um, but <laughs> this is the number one thing that I put because to me as a developer, performance is very, very important. And I didn't really go deep into this. You can't really demo performance necessarily. You can, <laughs> um, but you can show 
charts and graphs and other things. But what I did is I just linked to all the blogs. I listened to the .NET 7 performance blog, the ASP.NET Core performance blog, the .NET Maui performance blog. And to me, this was my number one pick or number seven pick. It's really, it's really hard to say if this is number seven, or number one, I didn't list them there, but you know, at least at the very first thing I picked was just general performance improvements. You know, I'm, I'm kicking myself right now because for the first time ever, um, measuring performance in .NET apps is pretty simple. Uh, you can create the log, you can do the perfu, whatever the heck you do. And I can finally do an apples to oranges comparison between .NET 6 and .NET 7 because mm. it really is just changing a project setting. <laughs> like everything compiles. Like they were pretty good with backwards compatibility going 6 to 7. Uh, and I would like to find out if the performance helps my apps, James, because that's all I care about. They always talk about like performance with like spans and web workers and things like that. And I'm like, okay, but how well can it factor a matrix? <laughs> Is that code any faster? So I'd like to see a few things like that. And I'm kicking myself because uh, I agree with you. This one definitely should have made the list. Performance is always a good thing. People always like to hear the code is faster. Who doesn't? I'm not sure if it qualifies as a new feature, but yeah, speed, I guess, new feature. But I also am kicking myself because I want to measure my own code and I need to measure my own code so we can talk about it. No, I think that's super valid. Now, the new features, I would say, are the things that make the thing faster, right? So they're yeah. things that the team did that they implemented that made it faster. So I agree with you. It's not something you're necessarily going to use. Now, there may be there may be new um, optimized functions or new methods that you might want to call that are faster based on some scenarios or maybe some new serializers or JSON deserializer or things like that or attributes you could use. Um, but I will mm -hmm. say this is reading through the blog posts of Tobe from last year and this year on .NET 6 and .NET 7, I do believe to your point and what we talked about before is that they optimize a bunch of hot paths of code, which means that for folks that are using different arrays or strings or matrixes, or th I'm not 100%, I'm not sure what all they optimize <laughs> in .NET 7, but mm -hmm. in general, they've gone through some of those hot paths. So in theory, uh, if you ran the same code, it ideally should be faster or at least the same. It shouldn't, you know, do that. But there, there could be paths that your code is going through that have been optimized by Dana 7. Yeah, and what's fun about my code is I've been optimizing this app for over a decade. And so I know exactly what its performance should look like. So I actually am a good test case here. We'll find out. The, the truth is um, I'm not actually releasing my app on .NET 7, but I use it for all the performance tests. Uh. It's a little bit funny, um, mostly because RyuJit is really good and it finds the same performance problems as you know running on iOS. It's funny. If, you, if it's slow in one place, it's usually slow in the other place. So you can, it's not perfect to do it that way, but it's funny that I run all my performance tests on .NET, not uh, iOS. That's funny. That makes sense. I like that. That makes sense. Yeah. All right, number two, rate limiting and input caching in ASP.NET Core. These are definitely two of my new favorite features. Uh, do you know about these two features at all, Frank? I would say, I mean, the name rate limiting, I, I'm pretty sure I can guess what that is. The input caching, I, I'm, I, I think I know what that means. So let me, let me try without watching your video here. Did they make rate limiting easier, <laughs> James? Is, is, that, is that number one? Um, they did, uh, in fact, rate limiting, which would be the amount of times if I have an API that Frank calls it, 
um, is now just a simple, um, that's great. Simple method that you call on the builder services. You can skip to minute three forty eight right now and then you can see the code <laughs> so there's a bunch of different rate limiters that are built in you can create your own rate limiter but they have like fixed window sliding window all these other ones but fixed window is really simple it says that's the one i demo in the app so i kind of yeah. show two apis uh, they can be minimal or they could be controller based it doesn't matter and what you do is you add a rate limiter and you give it a policy name and you can apply that policy to any any specific um input so it could be a get a post it could be whatever and the one that i showed was the fixed window so i called it Mm -hmm. fixed and it says allow four calls from a specific client or for for someone calling over 12 seconds and process them oldest first and there's a queue limit throw the other ones away etc etc from those clients and then return them and uh, there's a sliding there's a bunch of other ones and the, the documentation is fan Fantastic. Um, <laughs> but this is nice because imagine you are trying to stop DDoS attacks. You're trying to stop other stuff. Yeah. You can rate limit this and you can add so many on it. So it doesn't kill your service uh, in general. And you can specify the time and it will return. You can also have it return, a, I think, 426 or something like that or 429, oh. hmm. which is busy or something like that. They also document that, too. But it's literally you create the policies you want and then you apply a policy to a specific um, yeah, HTTP requests call. I uh, love it because the, I don't know. It's funny. I haven't made that many like high profile websites or anything like that. But rate limiting is always the first thing I write on a website because mm. I got that religion from someone like it's just so obvious. Um, browsers can get out of control. Any client can get out of control and accidentally kind of just hit your server over and over. Or, you know, a malicious attack, as you said, something yeah. more sophisticated. You should always put rate limiting. And it's it's the one middleware I keep finding in all my ancient ASP.NET apps that haven't been upgraded since, you know, who knows, .NET 4.5. Um, it, it's all those that I have my own custom janky. And when you started this, I'm like, yeah, but who hasn't written a rate limiter? I, I write rate limiters. I write rate limiters all the time. And I'm realizing all the little things I wasn't dealing with that they are, <laughs> the queue size, things like that. Uh, so good job. Good job, Microsoft. Make rate limiting easy. That's a good win. That's a good one. And input caching is sort of exactly what you would think it would be, is imagine you make a rest call, a rest call to my API and you request something, right? Let's say yeah. you, you request Seattle, Washington weather. You pass in you know, get weather, you pass in the parameters of Seattle, Washington, and you can cache that input and I guess the output of that input. But basically what it does is the, 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 oh, I guess it's out, I guess it's output (laughs) caching. Yeah. Rate limiting and input slash output caching. I guess I called it input caching, but I guess it is actually output caching. Um, that's funny. Yeah. I think I called it the wrong thing in my video. I'm going to edit it right now. Uh, output mm. caching. So input, ca- I'm going to call it input caching and output caching, but basically what it does, is it says, Hey, for this input, cache this output. That's what it is. Uh, uh, automatically. Okay. And how do you do that? Is that like, uh, you just, it's a the fluent style. You just do a dot super cache, something like that. Yeah, you add an attribute. <laughs> so you say, so, so basically it's, it's, it's very similar to the rate limiting. You have a policy for the 
the caching that you want. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a time span that you can say, so cache for this long. So for example, if you had a weather request, you could say, hey, if someone requests Seattle, Washington, cache that request for the next five minutes and then return that same thing back to them. So imagine the world where, you know, you are, you know, doing gets and you know that that data is not going to change. You can almost combine that with rate limiting, which is nice because now you have input output caching automatically and you can say, hey, you know, just return this data really quick to them and just automatically handle it. So it, it is an immediate return. So it won't process. It won't run your code. It will just return that output cache, input output cache. Yeah, there you go. Always the second piece of middleware that I write after rate limiting. <laughs> so I'm glad they made these easier. Uh, I, I'm realizing now while I was getting a little confused, I'm like, I thought they had uh, okay output caching. Uh, what we're talking about right now is the kind of builder syntax, the fluent syntax for writing your kind of mm-hmm. single file API kind of apps. Not if you're like me and still using MVC from 2005, because it's fine. I love MVC. Yeah. It's great. Um, this is when you're using the builder syntax. And it's pretty nice. You just say dot cache output. I wonder what the defaults are, but nice. Yeah, I think they're pretty generous, you know, for it. Um, from what I can I can test, I'd have to look at go look at the documentation uh, in general. Mm-hmm. But I was like, oh, this is great because this output caching would really handle some scenarios where I know it's going to, you know, need a bunch of stuff. And, and oh. you can add it, you can add it as a attribute, you can add to other stuff. And then there's, um, you can add different policies as well. So that you can have a base mm-hmm. policy and say, oh, the base policy is 10 seconds, or you can have a expire after 20 seconds. And we do this on the .NET website all the time, uh, which is, you know, we have a bunch of Azure functions and that's really tricky too, because you know, I, if you're reading something from a disc or you're like, Hey, I'm reading a podcast RSS feed. You can just cache that for the next, you know, at least a minute, maybe five minutes, maybe 10 minutes, right. Um, mm-hmm. cache that stuff. You could set up this builder policy automatically. So I don't know what the, the, oh, the default says it's 10 seconds, maybe. Okay. It, the old joke I heard with caching is a one second cache will save your server. Like any yeah. cache is any enough cache. cache. <laughs> you just don't want it to hit the server every single time for every little thing. Yep. So this is great. These are like real simple ones. I guess they're they're a little repetitious because you're going to say, you know, dot cache output dot. Uh, <laughs> what was the rate limiting one? But you know what else? You can just make your own function and then you can dot my setup or whatever and clean a lot of this up so you're not being so repetitious with the builder syntax yeah and i like this too there's different policies that you can add so for example there's um they have one that's like a a query so you could have like a culture like a very by query you could have a no cache you could have a no lock so you can have like if it's locking or not and then they have one based on like tags and you can do Oh, only cache things that start with like slash blog, for example. And yeah. so there's all these different really cool policies that you can kind of add on to it. So it's really, really neat. And so basically yeah, they also talk about e-tags too. So you think about e-tags and how it can work with that. They, they also yeah. document that too. 
I think caching is just so important in an app. So yeah, you should go through all the struggles there. I, I like to get it so like the second request to my website has almost nothing. <laughs> yeah. Everything's been very aggressively cached. And the part of caching I always mess up is the authenticated versus unauthenticated people. So it's mm. good that I hope they bake that in nicely because that part is so annoying because yeah, if someone's not logged in. You just want to 24 hour cash <laughs> it's fine yeah yeah exactly yeah return the same thing over and over again yeah. yeah um my next thing number three talking about apis and we were talking about a lot about the new minimal builder model type is the new grouping for minimal apis so non-controller based now this is a really neat feature because it just cleans up the code a little bit which i think is elegant if you skip to 817 that sounds about right in the video sure um I right click generate this API in Visual Studio and it scaffolds it out for me. And the main difference is that when you are using the new API builder method, you would have to do app dot map get and then you have to say slash API slash monkey slash ID slash API, slash, you know, you know, the post and the this and yeah. that and you would repetition. So now what you can do is you can add these groups. So you give it uh, a route builder and you say map a group. And instead of calling and calling map get on the app, you're calling it on the group. So you can say, hey, my base is map group API monkey. Now I can do map get slash map get slash ID map get, you know, a bunch of slashes for the posts or whatever, you know, on there. And you can add additional metadata to the group that applies to all of them pretty much, which is kind of nice. So say, hey, apply all of these tags to this group, for example, so you don't need to repetitiously add the code over and over again. So it's more of a code cleanup, but it it really feels a lot nicer in how you'd want to build these APIs with this minimal API syntax. Uh, see, here I'm going to disagree. Well, it is. I, I agree. Of course, you need grouping and things like this, because as I was saying, I'm like, uh, in the last example, looking at all the builders with your dot cache this dot whatever that uh it's it's repetitious code that's never a good thing and i was being a good functional programmer i was arguing go make your own extension method that mm. calls all those things what i was inventing was what they've already invented here <laughs> which is this grouping stuff so okay they've reified my idea of just put it into a function into I mean, it's almost a controller. I mean, at what point are we back to MVC, James? But okay, it's not a controller, everyone. It's a group. It's fine. It's a group. <laughs> well, I think in this <laughs> kind nice, of a controller. Yeah, in this nice model, I think the syntax and the attributes and the granularity of adding these things are pretty nice. Now, some people were asking like, oh, you know, I see on Twitter, like, how many are using minimal APIs versus some controllers? Like, oh, it's, it's use whatever you want. It doesn't really matter. They play nicely with mm -hmm. each other. What I do is very similar to this where my APIs are in a separate file, right? Just like a controller would be. The yeah. difference is there's, I just kind of feel like the map get map post speaks to me a little bit more than the attribute. So I kind of feel like I'm mm -hmm. controlling the API a little bit more like I would in an Azure function in, in a way. So to me, that makes a little bit more sense to me of how I'm building these uh, yeah. out. Uh, and I like a lot of the new features they've added as far as the typed returns and the just the the, the, dot, the dot syntax just kind of makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I, I'm actually agreeing with you. I, I'm just old. And uh, th those attributes are terrible because, yeah, you have the, your, your little action methods on your controllers and your 
bracket and you're searching through the global namespace for a random thing, at least with the dot syntax you're using IntelliSense, and it can easily find what you're allowed to add to yeah. the service thing or to the whatever thing. So I am actually for <laughs> all of this. I'm just whiny because I'm like, oh, I got, I've got just a lot of old code <laughs> in MVC. Yeah. And I'm like a little jelly, a little, little bit jealous. <laughs> you can mix and match, man. You can mix and match. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. let's move on to number four, which uh, is pretty cool because I will talk about some of my things. You can talk about some of your things. I literally talk about you in, in this video, but it's <laughs> a C sharp 11 and F sharp seven. <laughs> new language yeah. features every most new very, important thing <laughs> most important thing now i specifically did not cover any new f sharp 7 features i did specifically cover two c sharp 11 features um which are required and raw string literals I, I didn't talk about the array stuff which we talked about on the podcast but i mentioned our podcast on the video and linked mm -hmm. to it um, those are the ones that I link to in C Sharp 11 that I think that are the ones that I will actually use on a like daily basis. Yeah, yeah. I I try to avoid giant raw strings in my code, but yeah, I mean, how can you not? Yeah, you're you're gonna run into them. I like I'm I'm more into the pattern match stuff. I I think I'm gonna be using that list pattern matcher a lot in F Sharp 11, where that you can. Uh, match on different elements of the lists and the lists. I keep saying lists, but it's arrays and things yeah. like that. I like that new matching syntax. So I think that's what I'm going to use in C Sharp 11. I think I should have covered that one. I think that is one that is nice and the documentation is really good. And I probably should have went into that one. That is, that is, that is, yeah, that is really good. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> the other thing I'm going to have to deal with in F Sharp because they adopted those required uh, properties from C Sharp is now when people use that C Sharp 11 feature, the required properties, I'm going to have to deal with them in F Sharp. <laughs> yeah. But I, I I think it's a good thing because we've all done our own ad hoc required properties in C Sharp. So I think it's going to be a good thing. And it's nice yeah. that F Sharp is going to support that too. Yeah. Now, you know, with the rostering literals, it's not about huge, crazy blobs. It's about putting quotes inside of your string when you need them yeah, and you need to put the slashes and I'll just get rid of the slashes. I know it's, I know you're replacing the slashes with more quotes in the, in the beginning <laughs> and the bottom, but in general, that is one thing that I think is a little bit nicer. I do love that you can put like 30 quotes as your opening quote. As many <laughs> like, as you want. As long as I don't have 30 quotes, it's going to be fine. Yeah. It's, it's fun. Yeah. Sorry. I, I was just going to say the, the, the feature of F sharp seven that I'm going to use the most is it's performance improvements because <laughs> mm. it just keeps getting faster. They, the compiler is getting to a nice mature state too. I don't have any unit tests to prove it, but um, I love all the things they've talked about, especially we, I think we might've even talked about on the podcast. So if you ever need something, it's uh, F sharp got a performance boost because they're using uh, less code and reflection places oh, nice. like that. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Nice. All right. Before we get to yeah. the next one, Frank, mm. let's thank our amazing sponsor this week, our good friends over at Syncfusion, getting us in right before December. Our sponsor, Syncfusion. Thank you, Syncfusion, for helping us out. Listen, we've talked about Syncfusion a bunch in the podcast because we love Syncfusion. I use them in a bunch of my applications. I've done case studies with Syncfusion. I've used them for the last Oh, geez. How old am I? 15 <laughs> years I've been using Syncfusion. I use them my first job out of college over at Canon. We use them for building awesome dashboards for all of our printer software that we're, we're building. 
And I've taken that. And what's cool about Syncfusion is that they have this complete developer platform for all the best widgets, controls, gizmos, and gadgets, anything that you need for your applications, no matter what you're building it with. Whether you're building with Blazor, with Flutter, ASP.NET Core, JavaScript apps, Vue, React, Angular, they got you covered, .NET MAUI, Xamarin, UWP, WinForms, WPF, WinUI. <laughs> I mean, honestly, they got everything covered. You go in there and you tap on any, hey, I want to build this thing, right? And you just say, oh, what, what, do you, what do you support? Well, .NET MAUI supports iOS, Android, Mac, and Windows. Perfect. What do you got for me? We got charts, maps, gauges, data grids, tab views, badge views, busy indicators. We got avatar view, effects views, combo box, signature pads, range sliders, schedulers, advanced list views, uh, barcode generators. Heck, we got document processing libraries like Excel, PDF, Word, PowerPoint, and tons coming through. They have a whole roadmap for it, right? They got everything covered 100%. You go over to syncfusion.com forward slash merge conflict, right? There's a link down the show notes below. Just click, 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 click. You can go find all their amazing products, free trial, get you started. They got community edition, like a whole bunch of stuff. They also have eBooks. I also want to point this out. Free eBooks, over 200 free eBooks, right? They pump these out. They're called the Succinctly Series. I don't know how to pronounce it, but they got <laughs> stuff like using Azure Maps on Blazor, successful remote working, Nux.js. I, no, I, I don't know anything about Nux.js, right? I have no idea. Mono game role-playing game development. Like they got a little bit of everything. Using the Xamarin Community Toolkit, building apps with Flutter UI, real-world Xamarin apps, you know, Uno platform. They got well, they got Razor components, Azure pipelines, C sharp features. They got all this stuff. It's all free. Just go get it. It's, all, it's amazing. Syncfusion.com forward slash merge conflict. Go check it out. You're going to love it. Tell them James and Frank sent you. And thanks, Syncfusion, for sponsoring this week's pod. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Syncfusion. I want to go read that RPG book. Yeah. The mono game RPG book. I'm going to go read that one. Yeah. I actually, I, I didn't, I just saw that right now. So, well, that's cool. That's sounds right up my alley because you know what i used to be a game developer <laughs> yeah like i've written rpgs but i i, I wouldn't ever say the engines were that good so i'd love to see someone explain their engine yeah yeah that'd be cool um all right number five uh five i mean five five i think we're five five this one can i introduce this one yeah go for it we are super web developers now. We were growing up in the web developer throughout this whole thing. I, I like the order you've picked because it goes from basic things a web developer should do to more advanced things. Like you should group your code together. Yeah. You should use these nice new advanced features of C Sharp 11. And now it's, where does all web development end, James? All web development ends in container support. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> all of them, every single one. But it's cool. Um, I think I saw a little bit about this, but I'll, I'll let you explain. But it's it's I think it's pretty neat what they've done here. It is .NET SDK support for containers. Now, what this means is when you needed to create a container for your .NET applications, you needed a Docker file. And a beautiful Docker file. Gorgeous Docker file. A beautiful Docker file. But imagine, Frank, a world where you didn't need a Docker file. What? No. No, yeah. I, I love looking up the syntax for everything and then running apt-get install and then realizing you have to run apt-get update first because Docker. Because of Docker. Now, imagine a world where all of those different you know, properties that you had said about the you know, architecture, about the container, about, you know, about 
the name of the image that you're going to create. What if that was just like property settings that you could just set in your project, you know, infrastructure that you already have and you don't need an extra crazy file. Wouldn't that be nice? I can't believe people like configuration files. Yes, it would be very nice, James, because it's bad enough putting configuration in code, but at least it's in code. You can find it and it makes sense and you have syntax that you can rely on. Yeah. Why, why would you not want this? This Keep going. I, I'm, yeah. I'm just, you, you had me at get rid of the Docker file, but yeah. please continue. The cool part about it, because I did it in the video, I show you exactly what I do. And, and if you don't add anything besides one NuGet package, you don't need to add anything. The .NET SDK, it already knows what you're building, what you want to deploy. The .NET SDK knows how to run your website, your a API. It knows how to run your application because it's a .NET app. So the .NET SDK is really smart. And it says, oh, I, I, I know what you're, you know, where to, to put your output, your input, your startup, all this stuff. I'll just, I'll just handle all that infrastructure for you. So all you do is just say publish, just publish this <laughs> and you publish it as a container. There's a few commands. You can pass the architecture, all the other stuff you want and boom, it will automatically publish your image out to your Docker daemon of choice, right? You could be using Docker desktop or you could use other Docker clients as well, or other, you know, container things They don't have to be Docker, obviously other container programs that are out there. Um, and boom, you can immediately start going. So this is great for CICD because now you can integrate this into a .NET published workflow. You can script it all out. And just mm -hmm. like you would expect, you can easily, super easily get your application up and running and containerized in seconds. It's super sweet. Uh, this is this is very nice. Um, I I do wonder if they allow me to put in my terrible Docker stuff because I do I do like to put in a tiny bit of terrible Docker stuff, but the fact that I just have to remember like a couple command line arts. It looks like it's mostly hyphen hyphen self contained. Looks like the the big argument you have to pass is that right? Maybe not. But um, oh, I see. It's the publish profile default container. Yep. Dot net publish. I have been rocking all the um, upload to Azure with our mysterious build and deploy script thing. It's a neat GitHub action that deploys to Azure, does everything for you. But it's a bit mysterious about what's actually being built and how that site's still getting deployed. And I have gotten a bit of the container religion. So this is something I'm definitely going to look at. Yep. I, I like it. This is... Uh, this is new with .NET 7. They have Linux x64. I wonder what other uh, runtimes they support. Neat. Yeah, I just posted a link and I'll put it into the show notes of this one. Chet, who was part of the keynote uh, and demoed this off, um, did a great blog post about it too and kind of talks about the motivation behind it, how it works, how it handles tar files and streams and a bunch of other stuff and the app types they can they, they do. And then additionally, what's nice about it is you can yeah, put container based image. You can say, oh, I want this one to be Alpine, for example, and just boom, handles mm -hmm. it. Um, you can do the different profiles, all this other stuff, and then it will do stuff. And they even shows you how to do CICD with it too, which is really, really cool. So it is very, very simple commands automatically. And then uh, there's a bunch of customizations So probably anything that you can do, I think in a Docker um, containers or Docker files, kind of what they want to do. Neat, 
neat, neat, neat. Yeah. I thought Docker had already gotten easy. I, I like these. I once saw a fun demo. Sorry, this this is a little bit of a side tangent, but they had done a version of this um, where even in your main, so in your C-sharp main, you could just say async run in Docker environment, and it would take your app, recompile it, build an image, run the image, start your app, and then the async would return from that point, and you would be in a container all of a sudden. So it's kind of neat to see that's a crazy feature. It's it's hard to come up with scenarios where you exactly want to do that, but it's easy to see that it's nice to see that ease of use uh, coming into the base SDK so anyone can take advantage of this. Yeah. I think it'll just make more people easily do this stuff and integrate into their pipeline automatically. So I'm all about it. Next one, controversial, Frank. Controversial. I, I, I thought the containers were controversial. No, we're uh, past that. Containers are not so. controversial. I don't think so. I think, I think right. it, that's a good feature. Native AOT. <laughs> Native what? AOT. Yeah. How is this controversial? Native I don't know. AOT is, it... is amazing. Everyone, Native AOT is amazing. Look, I I have, I'm biased, James. I have I have some Xamarin iOS biases where we use the Mono AOT, which then can go through LLVM. It's a wonderfully powerful AOT mechanism. We've been using it for way too long between you and I, um, but it makes our apps super fast and great. And .NET seven getting awesome AOT, which is different from that. I want to be clear. So I'm talking about, I, I live in a weird world. Uh, it's different from that, but now it's getting to be fast and stupid. We keep going talking about performance. It's a performance world, but it's fast and it's better. I was mentioning F-sharp. Uh, F-sharp improvements were made just to make the AOT experience better. I Why, why wouldn't you want AOT. Why? Why would you want to install on a whole SDK? I want self-contained apps that run on the metal. It's fine. I want to use good languages with powerful runtimes, but I also want speed because I'm a speed junkie. What's wrong with native AOT? How is this controversial? I don't think anything's controversial about it at all. Okay, that's good to know. I thought maybe I, I don't know. I saw some tweets. I'm just saying, but I think that it's an evolution, right, of the um all the different, what did I say it was in the video? It's like, it's an evolution of the different AOTs and the native, not, not, the, not the, 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 one of the things that there was in the blog post. Hold on, let me look. Cause it's like, <laughs> for well, it. as far as, as far as I understand it, it, it's mostly focused on Intel 64 bit. Do they have an arm 64 bit version of the native AOT? I think they do. Yeah, they have a, they have, Linux and Windows. I don't think mm-hmm. they have Mac. I oh, know they do. I guess they do. I, I think, think it, it does work on Mac. Yeah. Yeah. You just say publish that... AOT. True. It just works. It's basically an evolution of .NET Native, which was an evolution of Core RT, right? So it's like the next version. So it's entirely free of the JIT, 100%. And you just say .NET Publish, and you put this Publish AOT, and it just pumps it out, and it gives you an XE that's very small, which is amazing, and a P- PDB, which is very big, which is funny. You know, it's, it's like it's like five times the size. You can toss of it. it, yeah, yeah, and you're good to go. So it's good enough. Yeah, I don't know. It just it just runs. And it was funny. I did this video, and someone's like, "Oh, three megabytes! Like, oh, that's a tiny." Oh high. gosh, come and I was on. like, I was like, "Oh, actually, no, that is really tiny. Like that that has it's self contained." Yeah, 
application. I know it's just saying hello world, but it's ahead of time compiled code. And when you ahead of time compile an iOS app, it's like crazy big. Yeah, I, I think the smallest iOS apps can still get down to about the three megabyte size. Yeah. But what they're ignoring is you do have the full runtime there. You still have system.reflection. Or, I mean, pluses and minuses. There's always configuration switches <laughs> to mm-hmm. make things break. But, um, you you know, you have the threading system. You have all your link stuff, which takes up space and all that. But all that's going to run at native speeds and without necessarily... Uh, I mean, the important thing is the uh, self-contained aspect of it. But the secondary part is you're not wasting time compiling. Yeah. Uh, we talked about this with the Android app bundles where I was making fun that Google switched their format because they couldn't figure out a way to separate their architectures and things like that. So there are downsides to compiling for a specific architecture, but usually you're deploying to a server and you know what its architecture is, or you're deploying to a device and you know what its architecture is. So it's fine. It's only Google and their app bundles can't quite figure it out. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think it's cool. I'm all about it. So I think it's a cool feature. I hope they bring it, obviously, to more more places, more things. It's just command line applications now. But, you know, it's obviously the start of something. So I think it's cool to see. Yeah, I, I wonder if they'll get too much into the libraries. Like, would you mm-hmm. create shared libraries with these kinds of things? I probably would avoid that and keep it more at the app level. But, yeah. you know, it, it's still good to be able to release things that are specific to the OS. That'd be cool. Yeah. I agree with that, especially if you're doing, yeah, Xamarin stuff or yeah, a bunch of stuff. Yeah, Yeah, it would be really cool. As far as I know, this technology is not coming to iOS just yet. They they keep pushing it off. But once it's good enough, it'll come to iOS and we could build our iOS apps. And oh, yeah, because already you could do a Mac app probably with it. So mostly iOS we have to worry about. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. All right, my last one. Easy peasy. I ended it with uh with the simple one as you would expect. Just new down in Maui stuff. I'm just saying. You know, I <laughs> just mean saying. just saying. Is there it's a map? In there. Is there finally a map, James? There's a That's, map. That was that was the number one feature. Everyone was angry there was no map. <laughs> so I, I'm happy would, there's a map. There's a map and the map has geometry that you can draw on it. So it's actually really exciting because uh, I guess I could use Maps, Maps SUI or Maps UI, as I like to call it, uh, which is an open source library that is really nice. But this is cool because I have the skiing app and I want to finally convert it to Donna Maui so I can take advantage of these new maps so I can mm-hmm. draw the ski routes and colors and stuff on that, which is the one feature I didn't have um, that I want. It's a, the final piece of the puzzle that I want. So maybe my holiday act is upgrading my skiing app to Donna Maui and adding this feature. But yes, there's that. There's a bunch of new desktop support. So I'm actually really excited. The reason I'm excited about it is because, as you said, as a developer that builds apps today, I want all of the performance stuff. That's great. But I also want the maps because I have an app that literally needs the maps. And then additionally, (laughs) I'm excited about the desktop support as a desktop developer that my most popular apps are actually on the desktop with my stream timer. And I really want my apps to look really good. So that means upgrading my apps to use Mac Catalyst so they'll look way better, and then also WinUI 3, and they'll look way better in general. So that's another one that I'm really excited for because they've added all sorts of stuff, and I can really spruce it up. And to me, what's nice about my stream timer is that it's only a desktop app, so I can just put tons of desktop features into (laughs) it and make it really special. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just desktop, it's iPad too. Yeah. Uh, these all translate to iPad. And they're important. Like these are important upgrade tooltips. I I hate UIs that don't have tooltips. Yeah. That's you know, no one reads the help file, but they do read tooltips. So put all your documentation in the tooltips. It's important. Right click. It's incredibly important. I hate I hate apps that don't support right click because then it's just a website. Pointer hover. It's important. <laughs> Mice are important, people. That's true. <laughs> so th- these are these are really good. I, I hope everyone will take advantage of them. So my iPad apps are awesome. Yeah, that's it. That's my list, Frank. How did I do? I think you did pretty good. I it, it was a lot of web stuff. I want I want more mobile. We we need the top seven Maui features, but you kind of you kind of did them. But yeah, I, I get it. A lot of web stuff, but. We've talked about it in the past. We're both web developers too. You can't help not being web developers in this day and age. Yeah, no, it's true. I think that that's my thing. Is I, I'm I'm excited about those features. I'm excited how I could incorporate them in some of my backends that I'm creating in general. But yeah, I agree. It's there's definitely a lot of stuff to, that could definitely do. So. <laughs> You did show off one one of the scary parts uh, with the target frameworks of that uh, in your CS proj file. You have to put in uh, some scary stuff to support Windows, and it still scares me. I hope in .NET eight they're able to make the dot uh, the target frameworks not have that scary Windows condition. Mm. It scares me, James. Yeah. If you haven't seen it before, there's a scary MS build condition. <laughs> yeah. That's, That's true. Fine. Yes. I, I, I do enjoy rocking the multi-project lifestyle. Yeah. Just a funny thing. All about it. Got to <laughs> do it. Um, well, there you go. Well, I'm glad you put this video out. I can't wait for your next stellar one. Don't you hate that? You put all this effort into a video and everyone's like, I can't wait for the next one, James. But yeah. uh, I'm glad I'm glad the algorithm approved of it. And I'm glad we finally talked it through together so I don't have to watch it on my own now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could have watched it in less time than podcasting with me, but you know, there's that. No, I mean, it, it was fun. I took a break for a while because I was doing .NET Conf, and I even put out like a YouTube short that I was off for a while because of .NET Conf. I just did not have the time and the energy and resources, and it's always a scary time. You're like, well, are people going to abandon me? There hasn't been new videos for two weeks, blah, 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 you know, et cetera, et cetera. And you're just like, oh, geez. Um, yeah. But I got a lot of support even on this little that YouTube thing. Um, but yeah, it was good to get back and then do this video. It's one of my top rated you know, videos in a while. And I like doing the videos. I do them in my spare time, but I actually have a new video next week. It'll be out this week, actually, Ooh. which is all the new features and all the things that I've learned about the source generators for the MVVM toolkit. <laughs> for .NET. You do like those, don't you? Yeah. Oh, man, source generators. I never want to write one, but I definitely do love using them. That's for sure. Attributes. It's attributes all the way down. It's really attributes all the way down. In fact, I'm wondering if SQLite-net could benefit from source generator. I should. Oh, it definitely can. You're right. It's a time for SQLite-net version two source yeah. generating. It'd be really imagine you have a class and you just say table and it's like, boom, it gives you a source source generates for you all the crud, you know, all the stuff yeah. that you need. Oh my God, that'd be so cool. Yeah, I think a, a bunch of the database people are taking a heavy look at it because you can definitely get some little performance improvements. One of the slowest parts of my SQLite drivers, I use reflection. 
And mm. if you can get rid of reflection, that's good. Yeah. Now, .NET's powerful, so you don't, whatever. <laughs> we'll get into a whole thing. We'll, we'll let your video go out, and then we'll do another critique of James's video. There you go. There you go. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. What are your favorite features of .NET 7? I asked about it in the video. I hope that you have some opinions as well. Let us know. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at MergeConflict.fm, at James Montemagno, at Proclarum. We have super long Macedon accounts. You can find that somewhere <laughs> on the internet. I don't know. I don't, I'm just checking nothing right now. It's, I'm basically in holiday mode at this point. It's basically December. Yeah. So there's that. But yeah, give us a give us a tweet. Give us a toot. Give us a hit up us up on our Patreon, our Discord, on our web. You can just make comments on the video. You can get a contact form on MergeConflict.fm. You can just tell a friend about the podcast if you don't have a new favorite feature say hey friend what's your favorite feature do you agree with these chuckleheads over here and then see what they say all right let's gonna do it though um frank thank you for podcasting (laughs) with me i'm excited for you and your ventures and i'm excited for next week so until then i'm james montemagno and i'm frank krueger thanks for listening peace